and it becomes this fascinating and unique thing that I have some exposure to myself where you might be a high school student who is put in a position where you need to instruct or reprimand or make a personnel decision about a 37-year-old person with a 21-year work history. And I think it's this like fascinating, under-examined thing. I mean, I say I deal with some tough personnel decisions now, and I, I think we all do, and I, I think we have to have tough conversations with employees. And if you say that's something you, you need experience for and you don't encounter for five years in the workplace, you know, I'd beg to differ because any 16-year-old manager of a Domino's has had to do it. My name is Noah Omri Levin. You're listening to Digital Marketing Life, my podcast giving you access to the real-life experiences, challenges, and triumphs of the incredible people across our industry. This week, I sat down with Lee Elliott, the VP of Digital Media at VaynerMedia. If you listen to episode eight, all about Erin Linson, Lee is the person responsible for stealing her from my team. He's also responsible for a lot of the amazing growth that VaynerMedia has seen in its paid media department and is himself a wonderful and fascinating person. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Lee Elliott, and thank you for joining Digital Marketing Life. Hey, Noah. No problem at all. More than happy to have the opportunity to be on the podcast. You thought you were joining the podcast to really you know, tell me about your background, like some of my other guests, but really I brought you here because you stole Aaron Linson from me. And I just wanted to berate you for half an hour and let the whole world know how bitter I am about that. Not the first time that my hubris and believing that anyone wants to hear me talk has caused me to walk into a trap. Um, <laughs> all I can say is at least this time it's not an intervention. So... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I deserve the beratement, although I, I really, I, I can't take credit. I had nothing personally or professionally to offer. Uh, I, I only had the city of New York. Um, that was it. She is uh, very much here for that, less for me. <laughs> well, she definitely had far more to say about you, and I, I really am excited about this conversation because Erin um, had worked with me for a few years, and... Um, had always talked about her experience with you at Ignition One, and it does not surprise me, um, based off of everything that she said about you, that she ended up taking the opportunity um, under the excuse of moving to New York, but to work with you again at VaynerMedia. So I really want to thank you for joining the podcast today, um, and if you could actually please start by giving us a little bit of background about Lee Elliott and your origin story. At this point, we go pretty deep into Lee's origin story. So what you're going to hear picks up from Lee's transition into VaynerMedia in New York City. The full origin story is appended to the end of this episode for your listening pleasure. I had met Vayner's now chief media officer, uh, Jeff Nicholson, uh, through some interesting interesting circumstances uh, regarding our, our need for social media advertising platform help while I was at Moxie, as well as a, another gentleman who worked with them. And they were at a platform at that time called Social Code. 
They had come to Vayner and were looking to build out the media capacity beyond the core social channels that they had a lot of recent familiarity with. They had advertised in a variety of channels in their career, but had been very recently focused purely on social. You know, they they made a very convincing case that I eventually agreed to to come over to Vayner, which when I when I came. This is something something like 97% of the media spend had to be purely on social. And if, if you look at the agency's branding and approach from that time, uh, it was very socially driven. Which makes sense, right? <laughs> Given that the origin of, of kind of where, you know, Gary came from and, and what drove a lot of the popularity of, of that approach, which I, I'm actually interested to hear a little bit about. Um, now in in this position at Vayner, kind of where you've taken things and where where the company's moved towards, because I don't think a lot of us out in the industry necessarily get exposed to that. Sure. Yes. I I mean obviously I well Gary's you know first major success was on YouTube, Wine Library TV, which I had actually seen years and years ago when he was principally a, a wine guy. I I for, I forgot that. For a while, and I think it was two months in the van- working at Vanner uh, when I was looking at the wine library search account that I had this sort of aha moment where where something was jogged loose in my brain, and I, I remembered all those years ago watching some wine review videos from Gary as uh, our media team and the agency in general were looking at growing and servicing the industry. You know, no one no one wanted a disintegration agency as much anymore at, at a certain level. People were, you know, they, there had definitely been an era where specialization in one realm of digital marketing was warranted and necessary, and a lot of the integrated shops just weren't even close to cutting it. So <clears throat> the emergence of social-only shops made sense, as it seemed like capacities were developing or at least clients felt like the capacity should develop for the holistic advertising offering online versus offline should sort of come back together, i.e., um, you know, the appetite seemed to be returning to like, it, it's okay perhaps to have an online agency and an offline agency, but, you know, any, any sub-segmentation beyond that is too much complexity and, and you know, too much sort of uh, putting your eggs in too many baskets. Uh, our, our chief media officer, you know, realized that he needed to diversify the offering um, pretty quickly. So that was my initial task when I came on. Team of one for a little while. Um, then we went to two, and, and then I think our next hit was about to 11 or 12. So it kind of came in fits and starts. I distinctly remember in our, our big hiring spree, I, I actually was talking to someone at a bar in the West Village, uh, Wilfie and Nell, about coming to work at Vanner. Not that I, I, I wasn't looking to reach out, but it, you know I think this is on my mind, but right after I, I met with that person, Erin texted me. She said, I, I saw the guy who I think started the place where you, you're currently working speak at an advertising conference in Atlanta the other day. Uh, and I, I said something along the lines of, oh, like, how did you find that? And I think she said something like, he seemed a little crazy, but he, he definitely had some, you know, some interesting ideas. Uh, 
And I think I said something along the lines of like, would you be interested in working for someone who's a little crazy but seems to have some interesting ideas and moving to New York? For a while there, I uh, I, I was looking specifically uh, into growing the non-social part of our business, but maybe in the last six, six or seven months ago, uh, we re-reorganized into fully integrated uh, online pods across social and digital, directly aligned with clients versus having the discipline separated to any extent um, sure. because it's the right thing to do and we were ready. That's super exciting. And I mean, to to have jumped in there um, as a team of one, that is a big task. And it, it's a company that's doing a lot of exciting things. So I have to ask this, but what's it like to work for a guy like Gary? You know, uh, it keeps you on your toes, certainly. I think anyone who's familiar with a lot of his content has heard his uh, clouds and dirt mantra, which is sort of a, a minimalism, maximalism, um, as far as like level important, and uh, less focus on what's in between. You know, it's very interesting because while obviously his his principal role and where he he puts his his time and effort and his mind is uh, with you know the macro leadership of the company and the big decisions. Uh, the the larger strategies at play, um, you, you know, sort of conceiving what our, our next focus will be. He also can very suddenly, uh, when he gets the sense that it's important for him to do so, 100% zoom in on something and get very involved in the details. You know, so it, it's funny because, you know, you might have a meeting with, with leadership and, and, you know, make a, a major decision about a direction that we're taking a department at, at the company. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, pop into a meeting about a very specific thing for five minutes, you know, listen, give his opinion on a, a very, you know, a detail, a very specific particular of a situation, but a specific particular that he thinks is extremely important. It's small, but its impact is outsized. So I, I think he definitely prides himself on trying to identify those things that, that are small and are details, but are sort of the one critical cog in the machine that it all hinges on, but then also generally taking the, the sort of macro perspective that he needs to as the CEO of the company. I, I think one of the most distinct things is how, you know, you, you used to Gary suddenly sort of zooming in and becoming hyper-involved with something for a very specific reason in a very specific moment, uh, which is definitely a, a differentiator versus agency CEOs elsewhere. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because obviously I'm watching from a distance, but he's blowing up a lot of our feeds, and he's a polarizing figure when his name comes up in conversation and that some people are like, oh, he's too vulgar. And some people are like, oh, he's a genius. I, I, at first, I have to admit, I was very turned off by the style. And then as I started to hear his message, because it's everywhere, <laughs> then uh, I, I, I have to say it. he's he's really on it. And he doesn't need me to say this, obviously. But, you know, it, it takes a very intelligent person to achieve what he's achieved. It sounds like he's the type of person that's able to jump in on a conversation, hone in on the, the important aspect of what's going on and, and isn't afraid to go into the detail, which as you mentioned, like 
definitely in my experiences in, in larger organizations, you can see where C-level executives are just, they're not willing to go that deep um, or they're afraid they'll make a mistake. And to just be able to dive in deep and be willing to, to get your hands dirty um, is something that I think he represents really well, uh, especially because one of my favorite things that I listened to that kind of turned me into a Gary fan was this recording on his podcast where he was talking about going out with a family member like on the weekend to just pick up some stuff um, from a flea market and then go and try to sell it and like make a hundred bucks. And it just blew my mind. Like this guy does not need to be doing this obviously, but he's just hustle all day long. Um, and it takes a really humble person to be able to do that. So it's, it's awesome. Then thank you for sharing that. I, I, you, you had mentioned earlier to me before this conversation, some unique hiring practices you have. So I'd love for you to share them and give us a little bit of your philosophy of, of how you go about finding talent. This is one that it, it's sort of like a, it's almost like a, a pet project or, or something I, I keep in, in the back of my head when I when I'm hiring, when I'm considering also existing employee, you know, talents, strengths, weaknesses, feelings, and things. Um, I think that there are a lot of dimensions of people's lives outside of advertising, including previous jobs they've had or in some cases, second jobs they've had concurrently with entry-level roles in advertising that not just tell you a, a lot about the person, but have really pragmatic application in advertising. And I, I don't think they necessarily are the things that some people think of. As someone whose mom is a teacher uh, who has uh, taught and nurtured a, a great deal of um you know, highly gifted, you know, uh, grade school students over the years. At the same time, she she taught me to have a healthy disdain for extracurricular activities pursued solely in self-promotion or sort of merit badgy things. So I'm I'm also not necessarily talking here about like any sort of like international fellowship on an entirely unrelated discipline in college or something that conventionally looks impressive but is tangential, but things that may not look impressive that are, are, are tangential but applicable. And I remember I was interviewing an analyst who currently works here at VaynerMedia, and he had listed on his resume, as, as one may, as early in their career, the entirety of their work history, which included uh, a decent amount of time at a chain pizzeria in Queens. I think a lot of people might look at this and say, you know, why why has this guy got this chain pizzeria, you know, you know, job on this resume? But I I was really interested, and in, and I asked him two questions, and, I, and one was, how did you handle being 16 years old and being in charge of adults, uh, some of whom may have had significantly more life experience and been significantly older than you, which I was. Interested to hear the answer to because I've always been fascinated with the position of the it, it could be quick service restaurant or, or a number of it could be a retail job. But if you take a retail job early on in, in your teen years and high school or whatever, uh, and you're, you're very diligent, you work hard at it. There's a, a chance that you are promoted to some sort of low or even mid-level managerial position 
and it becomes this fascinating and unique thing that I have some exposure to myself where you might be a high school student who is put in a position where you need to instruct or reprimand or make a personnel decision about a 37-year-old person with a 21-year work history. And I think it's this like fascinating under-examined thing that there are a good number of people, although I'd say unfortunately a dwindling number of people who I see coming into our industry who have this experience because, I mean, I say I deal with some tough personnel decisions now, and I, I think we all do, and I, I think we have to have tough conversations with employees. And if you say that's something you, you need experience for and you don't encounter for five years in the workplace, you know, I'd beg to differ because any 16-year-old manager of a Domino's has had to do it. And that was just one thing. But I also asked him what his greatest challenge was, and he relayed to me a story I'll never forget that I, I still refer to as the uh, Christmas pizza massacre in which every other and I think there are only a few locations of this particular chain in Queens, but their ovens were off, like their their ovens went down on Christmas Eve, all except his location, which is a huge pizza delivery day, as it turns out. And he was essentially, on, on Christmas Eve, at, at his pizza restaurant until something like four in the morning, getting all these, out, these orders out, receiving infuriated customer calls the entire time. And so it was sort of this like one mundane seeming job at the base of the resume of a young person that I honestly, uh, I, I think I, I have a lot of understanding of this person compared to another entry level person here based on them relaying to me information about this job that would be seemingly completely unrelated. You're making such an amazing point because um, one, it, it's reflective of your history, right? Like you, you definitely experienced this yourself where you got a lot of varied experience and you, you were working really hard to grow and, and you had passion um, way back when, but it, it, you know, you didn't know what door was going to open based off of those different things that you were getting um, at the mom and pop shop or wherever you were coming from. I I couldn't agree more that like, we've we've had a bunch of different hires where um you know it's it sometimes the best on paper traditional resume might be the least ready for a real job because they haven't actually been out there right they followed the you know the manual of what you're supposed to do in high school what you're supposed to do in college and then they come out and they get the right internship right but they haven't actually like eating dirt, right? Like Gary would say, right? So I, I know myself, I, I went to NYU. So like I, I also, I followed a little bit of a of a straighter path, but I remember at one point in college, instead of getting an internship, I went to work in the kitchen at a restaurant in downtown Manhattan because I was like, I need to know what this is like. Like if I want to be in the hospitality industry at some point, like I need to know what's actually going on behind the scenes, the operations. I worked in a fire room. It was an amazing experience. It was hard work, right? Um, I worked in a hedge fund, and I did a ton of cold calling and, and business development for them that was extremely difficult and built up my ability to talk to strangers, which I was, like, super shy and hated doing this stuff. But all of those experiences 
led to a lot more that I could bring to the table later on. And um, I, I have an employee now who is going to kill me for saying this, um, so I won't mention her name. But she worked like on display units in like Publix's and and Kroger's for a company, um, literally setting up product and like driving around the city. I remember seeing that on her resume and being like, dude, this person knows what it's like to grind. They are going to be awesome. And it's true. When they come into a, a job and they really know what it's like to put in effort and really work hard, or they've been through those rougher experiences like managing other people and having to make difficult decisions, you have something on your hands that's a lot more valuable than intellectual experience. Absolutely. And it's <clears throat> it's it's made me like continue to look in, in those directions and those areas. And I, I now have this sort of like pet theory that I haven't been able to extensively test. Although I found out, I, I didn't even know this. I, I hired someone who sort of fits this bill, or, or I would say probably definitively fits this bill without being aware of it. I have an extreme interest in hiring bartenders who are interested in getting into digital marketing. <laughs> That's interesting. Why is that? I think that if you told a lot of people who work in advertising account client services that they needed to operate in an environment where they're providing a high level of service, but only for things that they've either already been paid for or can guarantee future payment of very explicitly, uh, or else they'll have to expel the client from the establishment, I think we'd all freak out, which is kind of my summary point of saying that between the complex operations that go into being a shift manager in a hospitality industry, um, such as, uh, you, you know, works for bars, works for restaurants, combined with dealing with the sheer amount of potentially dicey situations in which they are expected to deny service outright, deny a certain level of service, or otherwise minimize an institution's exposure to risk that is extremely immediate and extremely visceral. I, I think it's just like a phenomenal peripheral skill set if you can bolt that on to also being a competent digital marketer from an, an expertise and raw chop standpoint. There's just no one who's asked to say politely to politely say no and drop the velvet hammer on someone on such a consistent basis as a bartender in a major metropolitan area. Okay. Well it sounds like this is a call to all bartenders in New York City that if you have any knowledge or interest in digital marketing, then you should be having a conversation with Lee Elliott. <laughs> I'd love to start a digital marketing and mixology hybrid fellowship program, honestly. <laughs> I really hope that that goes somewhere, and I would I would be very interested to follow it. That is a fascinating theory, and it's, it's really, it, it could have legs. Um, so let me, I'm going to pivot us to a couple questions. These can be rapid fire. It's up to you. Number one, what gets you jumping out of the bed in the morning? What drives you forward? What gives you energy that's related to your career today? I just like solving interesting problems with people I like. Um, it's that simple. 
you know, it's funny, that's something I've, I've communicated, uh, you know, very openly uh, to my boss, who is a you know, great boss and, and sort of always interested in what makes people tick. Uh, and it's, it's that simple, which is funny because sometimes people say, you know, Lee, do you love digital marketing? Uh, not specifically. Have I loved digital marketing? Certainly. But I've loved it in the service of an opportunity to solve interesting problems with people I like. If, you know, all this collapsed tomorrow, but there were some interesting opportunity somewhere else to do the same thing, I, I think I'd be equally happy doing that. Well, that's awesome. That sounds like you're in the right place. That is a great thing to hear. Well, how about some advice for somebody who might be starting out or looking to jump into the industry? There are, you know, and this kind of circles back to what we were discussing earlier, but I, I think that's appropriate. Never before have, I, I'll say, have there been so many opportunities to jump into it yourself entirely for yourself. Um, and I, I think never before ha also have institutions been more willing to take on the eager, the interested, and the, the well self-educated from an unorthodox path. So I think anyone who's sort of interested in if it's jumping in or or making a career transition. There's a lot of formal education opportunities that are outstanding, like General Assembly. There's also just if, if you have relatives, friends, families who have businesses that they know could genuinely benefit from just even the smallest amount of digital advertising, that could be an opportunity to help them while teaching yourself along the way. We hired someone at an entry level uh, not long ago who came into digital marketing through wanting to promote their own college test prep material service. So, you know, there's no wrong way to get in so long as you're exposing yourself to the knowledge, the skills, and everything else that you need and you know, I, I, you know, like just like you offer everyone at General Assembly the opportunity to reach out and talk to you about it, I think there's also no shortage of, of resources who are qualified and would be more than happy to you know help help set anyone along a path that makes sense and, and won't have them you know chasing down any dead ends. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with that more, and I I definitely want to double down on the opportunity that exists today it's a li it's a little ridiculous and how like when we say google you know democratized things when when pvc kind of took hold in you know 15 20 years ago like what's happening now in giving everybody access to this space is really incredible um, and there's so much that you can do for friends and family like i i do most of my learning i work on my father's website um, and, and I get to learn how to build websites, all about tagging, right? Like a lot of those experiences I brought to work, but I got most of the experience in learning, applying that to, to the family business. Um, I've worked, I'm helping my wife right now launch. I, one of the podcasts is going to be um, all about launching her business. And again, that was kind of the other way, bringing what I've learned from work back to the people around me. But that really allows you to differentiate and diversify your experiences. Uh, and I, I could not agree more. That is 
the place to look, uh, and, and there are so many outlets to get those opportunities for a nonprofit um, who needs the help, right, for family members or wherever you can get it. The last question I have for you here is, it, it is a fascinating space. There's so much going on. Um, you're in the heart of it in New York City there. What's one thing that you're particularly excited for in our space today? That's a great question. I think, and there's been a lot of a lot of talk and, and interest and concern, very rightfully so, about how the major digital marketing platforms and digital marketing in general is really shaping and, and sculpting not just the digital marketing industry but society at large. Um, you know, obviously, I don't need to recap this for. Uh, you know, everyone, but everything from the, the Facebook fake news, you know, sort of tag that's been um, tossed around to YouTube's content suggestion algorithm, which admittedly, when I look at it sometimes myself, does seem possibly like a good way to get radicalized along many different axes of ideology. I'm really excited that people have started to think about what the ad-supported internet as it exists now really means. I actually have meetings with, well, I had meetings today with our most recent class of entry-level hires, and three of the nine of them had questions sort of pertaining to this area. Um, I'm really excited that people are thinking more about the ethics of di digital marketing in general, digital marketing as it exists now, and what are and aren't the ethical ways to push information out on platforms that now are people's principal information sources and are also more powerful at delivering specific types of information than anything that's ever come before. So, um, you know why I think definitely uh, investors in some of these companies are not enjoying this heat. I'm actually excited about the scrutiny that the, the industry, mainly on the platform side, is getting right now already. And I'm actually hopeful that it doesn't let up too soon because, you know, these are very much tools and they're powerful tools. And if we can take more than a moment, but maybe a few months or, or a year or something can fundamentally change and from the marketing side and, and from the brand marketers through the agencies, through the platforms, if people can think about how the ad-supported internet, because it's a reality at this point, it's a huge reality, can be an internet that's healthier for humanity, uh, I think that's a huge opportunity. And I, I really want this heat to sort of last a little bit beyond the, the initial several-month news cycle. So while that's something I think a lot of people worry about, I, I've seen a lot of interesting thought around how all these things can not just be better for advertisers, uh, but, but can just be better and how it, at least a, a little bit more than they have in the previous years, you know, utility for the, the users of the platforms can increase in turn with the utility of the, the platforms for advertisers. So I, I don't think a lot of people are necessarily thankful for all the changes in, in data and privacy on the advertiser side that are coming to these platforms, but um, I actually think it's a great opportunity. You know, I, I love that, and I think it it shows it honestly shows that you're a good person at heart that you're excited about this you know and that might sound obvious, but 
the the reality is is that the people that are excited about it are great people, and those are the people we want in our industry, and we want building up the industry. The people that are less excited about it are either you know on the lazy side or they're the ones that are making it hard for the rest of us to really like enjoy and grow grow this space because no matter what anything that we do that is immoral or or hurts uh, the world is is a short term play and if we really want to focus on like long term what the long long game is here we have to be building something that's healthy and that adds to society because especially now it's not just the scrutiny but the transparency that exists in the world like nothing nothing can hide anymore right so i love that um because i i'm definitely with you on this that uh you know i enjoy my my work a lot more when i know that what we're doing is not hurting but helping businesses grow helping the people behind the businesses grow and helping society at large and that it's just far more enjoyable to do really cool fun things in digital when you don't have that like oh am i really am i am i doing something that's a little bit off here right absolutely yeah i it, you know i i enjoy as i said personally i i enjoy solving interesting problems with people i like but that that can only you know go go so far into perhaps less of a, a service and more of a disservice to the world you know to where that becomes a concern so yeah, you're absolutely right. This, you know, this this has to be about, you know, continue to, to be about helping people, you know, grow enterprises and endeavors that are are helpful, you know, generally to the world. To to take that line from that Terrence Malick film that, you know, help the grass to grow and the the tree, the you know, the sun to shine. So yeah, at, at the core of it, like there's the industry, but there's the industry's output and impact. I think it's great that, you know, more more than just a beat has been taken to, to sort of examine that. And and I think I, I've, you know, felt fairly positive and I think more people than I expected have, you know, take, taken to more of the angle of this is something that needs to be examined and considered for this to continue to, to thrive and be a healthy industry. It sounds like if you're a good-hearted bartender who's really passionate about digital marketing and has a lot of differentiated experience and work, that they should be getting in touch with you. I would certainly be very interested to uh, <laughs> to meet that person and um, discuss opportunities with them. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and taking the time out of your day. Um, it's really been a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I appreciate you doing this. We're really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for that. What an awesome conversation. Let's recap. First off, the real world of digital marketing is an extremely diverse one. People, particularly in the more creative disciplines, come from backgrounds of all kinds. If you've dreamed of getting your hands dirty, know that number one, you don't have to fit a mold, and number two, it doesn't have to be a full-time thing for you to legitimately be a digital marketing rock star. Some of the best digital marketers are entrepreneurs running their own teams. 
On that note, we talked about taking the plunge and a few areas to look to to get started, namely looking for friends, family, or nonprofits that need a hand. If you're not sure if this is a space you want to be in, but you're willing to do it as a hobby for family, that's a good sign that it's the right industry for you. Lastly, we talk about some of what the future holds for our industry and how a lot of the current turmoil is actually a long-term win for not only society, but us, the digital marketers, who have to evolve and operate on a higher level moving forward. I'm so thankful to all of you, again, for helping spread the word and story about another incredible person in our industry. There's more where this came from, and if you're enjoying it, there's no better way to thank me than letting me know and maybe rating us in iTunes. You can follow me at NoahOmri11 on LinkedIn and Instagram. This is Digital Marketing Life. Oh, yeah, and here's the rest of Lee's story. Sure. Before I I did digital media within the realm of digital marketing specifically, my first touch points with uh, advertising, it actually began technically at uh, the Pennsylvania State Employees Credit Union where I did a marketing internship for a summer, essentially because I had, I had nothing else going on that could have contributed to my professional development in any way and had the sense that maybe I should get something going in that realm, being I, I believe uh, I just completed my junior year of college. The interesting thing there was it's it's a large state credit union, but it has no branches, which at that, I mean, at this time, branchless banking is something that I think people are aware of isn't a little more prevalent. But at that time, it was actually fairly revolutionary. And I, I believe, I, I don't know if it's official from a patent standpoint, but they pretty much invented being able to photograph a check and send it and have that count as a fiscal transaction. So it was... Uh, you know, a marketing department at a mid-sized financial institution, but because the product was so digital, um, they were very digital. I feel like I owe them a lot of hours of my life that I've saved. That's incredible. Yeah, and it, it was just a, a great organization, as many credit unions are. Um, you know, really focused on serving the community, uh, really focused on delivering value to uh, their their share owners, which are, of course, just their, their members and all depositors. So I, I was kind of just a generalist intern. I did come up with an ad campaign idea, and we, we actually did, like, make a video for that and, like, put it on the website and promote it lightly. So that was sort of an interesting experience as an intern to have that opportunity to sort of have an idea taken and, and made into one of their marketing efforts. So from there, I actually tried to copyright, which uh, was its its own adventure trying to get into uh, upon returning to Atlanta. What made you want to make that change and go into copywriting? You know, I'd been studying political science and journalism, and I didn't think I I wanted to pursue any sort of political science research angle, uh, nor was the the shape of future journalism uh, super clear to me. You know, it, it... basically my my first touch point where for something uh that you know it seemed like I could get a job in really seemed to be uh some form of advertising ideation trying to go down that track initially it was not terribly fruitful you know being in Atlanta where there is a creative circus and I I believe some other outlets 
there's not necessarily you know a, a tremendous amount of appeal in, appeal in someone who doesn't have the amount of work that one gets going to a portfolio school and I, I wasn't necessarily trying to do that so I, I kind of you know kicked around sent some applications out did a few writing tests for copywriting that people sent me never really caught on did a elaborate two-year multimedia contact campaign to one creative director in an Atlanta agency because I was really convinced that I wanted to work there and after about two years he uh, agreed to meet with me to tell me that he thought I was pretty funny, but I'd be a terrible copywriter. Oh, man, that is that is a little bit rough. But could you tell me a little bit more about what was this campaign that you, you were pushing for two years? Basically, uh, I was interested in the fact that this person was uh, pretty heavily involved with some local improv theater in Dad's Garage and had done some work with Adult Swim in addition to their creative director position. Essentially, I just pretty openly pandered to that. I, I had emailed. Uh, I believe I, I sent a couple of physical letters. There was sort of a lot of meta layer humor around the fact that they were physical letters. I experimented with multiple email formats of varying lengths, uh, hyper short, extremely long, you know, varying times of day. I, I think I really multivariate tested every possible uh, format of trying to elicit a uh, second response from this guy. Um, it, it honestly was kind of a background noise thing in my general job search when I was uh, kind of tired of, of submitting real applications to real jobs. I uh, would, you know, I'd be like, you know, it's, it's time to enjoy myself a little and send another one of these kind of total frivolous larks uh, out in pursuit of this unattainable holy grail. I mean, I have to say, I'm definitely impressed. That is some serious resilience to just keep it going for two years. That is awesome. I'm surprised they didn't see more opportunity there, um, but maybe that worked out for the best. What What happened after you got rejected from that that role? And to be fair, I, I think the the logic I was given and the explanation was was pretty sound at the meeting, and it was uh, it you know it it was fairly positive in tone. From there, I, I sort of realized maybe something else in the marketing communications discipline would work for me, and I ended up working at a small, literal mom-and-pop shop in Atlanta in a residential basement where there was a, a decent amount of local offline media buying happening, uh, radio, out-of-home principally. I, I think I recall a little bit of TV, print, but they also had clients for whom they were running AdWords campaigns. And given that I had sort of just shown up, that was, that was placed under my purview, as was a little bit of search engine optimization as it existed at that time. Very interesting. So that's a lot of different, you know, varied experience that you got there. Yes, and it was... It was very uh, the nature of it. I was I was super junior. I, I you know it was a very shallow dip, but the work I was doing on AdWords, I managed to purvey that as well as a lot of webinar watching, white paper reading, and sort of external research into an internship at the company that was then called Search Ignite and is now known as Ignition One. 
I believe I was one of their earlier interns. I think the company was, was maybe 40 or 45 people at that point. Uh, and they didn't have like really a, a dedicated or, or major internship program, but they, they wanted an, an intern on the advertising services side of the, the house. And uh, I finagled my way into that somehow. Do you feel like the varied experience at the mom and pop shop got you in, or was it just some of the research that you had time to do while you were there that allowed you to argue your way into the door? I think that I had some experience actually running AdWords campaigns helped, but honestly, there's a there's a search management platform that I don't necessarily have the best things to say about their product in this day and age, but I have to be eternally grateful to them because I think their their webinars basically got me that job, given that I was simply you know, but a humble click farmer running some local AdWords campaigns and, and no sort of large enterprise work like Search Ignite was doing. So definitely had to do a little bit of padding and uh, bridge some gaps using, uh, frankly, just a, a lot of reading, watching, listening, and, and research to supplement the pretty meager direct experience I had. Oh, that's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that comes up when I'm talking to folks who want to break into the industry is that they're struggling to figure out what the right next step is. There's so many different things that they could learn. Now a digital marketer doesn't usually just do search anymore. There are search specialists, but a lot of the jobs that they're looking at are really, you know, something more diverse where they, they need to be half analytics and half search or maybe search social and display all at the same time. And one of the first things that I recommend and have heard other people recommending is to really just dig your heels in and learn and get the certifications, try to get your hands on some of these tools that really have been democratized. They're, they're accessible now. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did here. You used the extra time that you had at that mom and pop shop not to relax, but to really like you had a drive. You wanted to learn and grow and that really took you from a very small shop to get in the door of what seems to be what might have been the turning point of, of your career. Is that fair to say? I think that's very fair to say, definitely. I don't disagree that perhaps the broad array of information and, and directions now might be a, li a little bit more dizzying than it was w when I kind of um, snuck into the door at Search Ignite. But um, it, it starts with that additional research, whatever direction it's in. You know, if, if you're not you're not yet clear on on which direction you should go, there's a good amount of general material clustered around any discipline, be it just one of the major information portals or, or news aggregators. So you can always start somewhere, and I think there'd also be professionals who would be willing to give some guidance in these areas as well. I, I've seen this term like micro-mentoring popping up recently in, in various uh, social media spheres. And I, I'm sure that if there's someone who seems to be in a position that you want to get in or, or can tell you how to get there, if you're listening to this, I, I'm sure that they'd be willing to take a small amount of time because I don't think it would require a lot of their time to design sort of a, a light framework of a, a curriculum or a, a, a syllabus 
towards an entry-level position in this industry. It's an interesting thing to think about just now as I'm describing it. So I'd, I'd honestly be happy to do it just because, it, honestly, at this point I'm realizing it's an interesting exercise given that I haven't really um, approached it in a while and things have changed so much. Yeah, I, I'll definitely take you up on that because I get a lot of folks. I teach at General Assembly locally, and a lot of folks come up to me with this question. And, and you're right, it doesn't take a ton of time. And I invite all of them to like connect with me on LinkedIn and email me. And you know, maybe 3% of people actually follow through, but I'm happy to walk them through it. And I think it helps build me up. It makes me think about you know what areas I need to be researching and growing in. I might suggest a training to them I've never actually taken. And it kind of pushes me to go and, and do it myself or recommend it to my team. So. I will totally, if, if anybody's listening and you want to talk to Lee, I'll, I'll be happy to, to pass them on and try to make that happen. Yeah, that, that 3% number definitely, you know, it's, that's, you know, it's unfortunate it's too low because I absolutely, you know, that I think that'd be remarkably helpful for anyone who's struggling with, with where to start. Uh, definitely there are a lot of, lot of resources who can help with that. While I'd, I'd like to swear up and down that I was the world's foremost AdWords expert despite only running a handful of local metro Atlanta area campaigns, that research and understanding was really as critical as the previous experience, if not more critical, in getting that job that really was sort of my, my first real formal foray in the digital marketing. That's awesome. So tell us where you, you went from there. After that, I went to a mid-sized direct response oriented agency in Atlanta, Response Mind Interactive. Uh, there was definitely a time where it felt like a bit of a rite of passage to do some work at Response Mind if you were in the direct response digital space in Atlanta. I met a lot of people subsequently who had worked there and before I worked at Response Mind. That was where I met Aaron. Oh, oh really? I That's so funny. I didn't realize that. I had assumed it was Ignition One, but it was really over at Response Mind. So because of the kind of the interchange, exchange, and swirl between a different, uh, few different agencies in Atlanta, there, there's actually confusion with multiple people who I know in that space and who I overlap with. And I actually met Aaron, who had freshly returned from Los Angeles at response mine she was a junior affiliate manager and was referring to herself as the jam because of that convenient <laughs> acronym um that's amazing yeah uh just a, a good piece of personal branding right off the bat there that is actually where we met i then subsequently um, I, you know, I had introduced her to some people who I had, I had worked with at Ignition One, um, you know, a, a former boss of mine and some other people. So I think that's where her, her familiarity um, probably first came from. She may have encountered it entirely independent of me, but, you, you know, I, I definitely remember introducing her to uh, some of my, my most beloved former colleagues there. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's, it, it's something that was very clearly on her radar for a while before she went there. Um, but yeah, she actually went from Response Mind to Ignition One, worked with a lot of people that I had also worked with, 
but we did not actually uh, overlap at Ignition 1. Uh, we overlapped at Response Mine and then sort of had a, a lot of sort of social Venn diagram and LinkedIn connection overlap when she was at Ignition 1. Got it. Okay, this makes a lot of sense now. What, what was next? I ended up going to Moxie Atlanta where I worked on the Verizon Wireless account, which my role there was a big pivot for me in that uh, at Ignition One, I had been very search focused, a little bit on social as we had built out our initial platform for Facebook marketing. At Response Mine, I had again been very, very search focused, uh, a little bit of sort of the emergent native platforms, some peripheral things, very, very, very light programmatic display. I think I had trafficked one or, or two campaigns in DCM in my life. I went to Moxie Atlanta to oversee a media that included essentially everything but search, uh, which included a, a heavy component of programmatic display and, and general direct partnership display for their acquisition-based segments, which was, pre again, pretty much completely new to me relative to search. And the idea at the time, and this wasn't a, a, a wild idea. I think there, I, I, I think there were a few organizations that were looking into this because I had some friends who made this transition as well. But the belief and assumption was that for heavily direct response digital campaigns, in the programmatic display space and and just general sort of. Uh, broad partnership analytics and DR investment management that there was a larger talent pool of people at that time in Atlanta in search who didn't technically work on this but had a lot of the sort of fundamental concepts and a core approach that worked for it such that the best and the best result and easiest result if you were looking to staff up uh, on you know, performance media, even if it wasn't in the search space, was to bring a search person over and sort of give them a crash course in it, rather than take someone with a lot of familiarity in, in sort of like web, web 1.0 or, or branding or offline and try and sort of inject them with the DR digital gene. I've definitely seen that, and you know my background's in search also and i I think I, the thing I've always attributed it to is just the idea that search is for a long time the most granular form of media buying that there was um just because it was so detailed in what Google and you know all all of the platforms, but primarily Google kind of pushed the industry towards in terms of all of the different pieces that you can put into place. Whereas displays origins were more generally targeting and you know probabilistic targeting, so when they started to mesh together, it was a little bit easier to take from the the search world than other worlds to kind of teach people, okay, you know it's basically instead of keywords, we're just talking about granular tar targets and different filters and layers um, versus taking somebody who might like be really good at negotiating iOs and trying to teach them the detail. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That. That's a great way of putting all of it. And uh, I, you know, I was very much brought over to Moxie uh, on on that the idea that that would happen. That was also in in an interesting way. I would say it was the the first time I felt like I worked quote in advertising or quote at an ad agency and that's that's not to slight response mine in any way it's it's to say that I think there was something about working on the first huge major enterprise account that I worked on where there was also a large branding and creative component first DR um that it, it uh, again this is sort of a such a subjective qualitative and, and maybe weird thing to say but one thing about that job was it was sort of the first sense of being a block quotes all caps ad agency so i actually uh, i i moved to new york with that job given that verizon is headquartered in basking ridge or morristown new jersey i had the opportunity to perform the same role in new york uh, here at the, the Zenith New York offices, and I made that move, and uh, you know, great grateful for that getting me to New York. Okay, this is really the end. If you've gotten this far, you'll probably love some of the previous episodes, like my interview with Jason Rockman, or discussing how to overcome imposter syndrome with Lisa Altschul. I'll see you next time. <laughs>